to break some things off people's lives today, that there are scales in front of people's eyes about what the Word of God actually is and that He uh, wants to break those off our eyes today and actually that we have a new experience of encountering God uh, in the Bible, in His Word. Um, that's awesome. What a powerful morning it has been so far this morning. just want to welcome you, especially if you're new to One Heart. Uh, you're so welcome here if you're traveling through on holidays. Um, hopefully you've been keeping cool from the terrible heat wave we've had. Uh, but um, wherever you've come from, you're so welcome here this morning. And what a great day to come because you got to hear Carmel and there's more funny stories where that came from. And we have a sausage as well afterwards, which you'll begin to smell and then I'll know it's all over for me. So <laughs> my name is Kylie. Um, I'm a part of the team here at One Heart. I'm just going to, I can't resist it. I'm just going to begin with a tiny, tiny little Bible history. Only tiny and then I'll get into the fun stuff. Oh, this is fun for me. Anyway, so um, there are 66 books in the Bible, and today I want to talk about one of the books called First Book of Kings. Um, there's two. The second one's called The Second Book of Kings. Who names this stuff? Uh, and it's all about the kings. Yep. So already our Bible memorization is going fine. Uh, we've got two other books called the Chronicles, so the first book of Chronicles and the second book of Chronicles, and they kind of mirror a lot of the stuff that's in the book of Kings. So if you ever read one from Kings or one from Chronicles, find the, find the complementing part in, in, in the other one, and, and it gives you a bit more background information, a bit more information. So today I'm going to share from the first book of Kings, chapter 22, about this guy named Ahab, he's the king, and this other king called Jehoshaphat. And I had to read this like so many times before I got all the names sorted out because I don't know about you, but I love reading. But when I read and there's like 20 different names that I can't even pronounce in the first two lines, I just glaze over and skip to the real words. Um, and so, but the real words didn't even make any sense when I didn't know who was talking or what's going on. So hence my little family tree and picture graph. It's not very hard to understand, hopefully. So... Um, in about well, sort of a thousand years, 900 years before Jesus is born, there's a place called Tyre, and there's a Phoenician king uh, called something like Ethbal, which means I am Baal. And he's the king, and he's the boss of the people who worship Baal. He's the high priest of the Baal people. And he lives in a place where they've got great fishing ports. I guess it's a bit like Port Lincoln. Beautiful ports and fishing boats and things, but they don't have much in the way of agriculture. And then on the, their neighbor in Israel, which is currently kinged by someone called something along the lines of Omer, 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 one of those, uh, they've got great agriculture, but not much in the way of boats. They don't have a port. So they make an agreement between themselves and they seal the deal with a marriage of their children. And so the Israelite king has the son called Ahab, who later will become King Ahab. And the Phoenician king has the daughter called Jezebel. Uh, maybe wave your hand if you've ever heard of someone called Jezebel. A few people. Maybe if you've never even read the Bible, Jezebel is kind of in popular culture uh, as some sort of harlot or woman, wily, wanton woman who leads people astray. Um, well, this is about this one. This is the one and only Jezebel. So this is available to see in the Louvre, if you're lucky enough to go to France. This is a stone with a bunch of ancient writing on it, and it's called the Moabite stone. It's from a place called Moab, which is um, one of the pagan countries. 
And it writes about King Omer and his son Ahab, who was also the king. I just thought that was interesting. Um, So Jezebel, that's all I'm saying about that. Jezebel, um, she has this eternally bad reputation because that's who she was to the Israelites. Because she wasn't just the princess of Tyre of Phoenicia. She was the like high priest of high priestess of Baal. And so when she came into Israel, she made it her mission, her life purpose, to eradicate any faith in God and to make everyone believe in Baal. And so she worked all the time to make people uh, listen to the false prophets and, and stuff about Baal, which is weird stuff. Like, um, you know, when it was really bad, you know, they'd sacrifice infants and things like that. And um, they'd cut themselves to pray and um, and they had temple prostitution and all this really weird stuff. So that's what Jezebel brought to Israel. And that's why, obviously, God is saying, this is not the woman to be following, guys. Uh, I've got, this is quite interesting, that's Jezebel's seal. So that's what she would have used to seal, uh, you know, the letters that she wrote and the death warrants that she wrote. And quite often she used Ahab's seal as well, because maybe sometimes being a king gets you further than being a queen. I don't know. Um, that's in the Israel Museum of Jerusalem. Uh, there's their old house. This is like the family, the family pictures. So that's, that's, a, that's a wall of Ahab. And uh, it's not much to see now. Apparently it was quite, quite cool in their day. There's even found heaps of like ivory trinkets and decorations and things like that that would have decorated their house and combs and things. Um, and this, I've zoomed in so you can kind of see that Weird stuff there, but that's writing. So this is called the something along the lines of Shalomancer, the, the third or Shalomancer stone. Um, and that talks about, it's from another country again. It's not a godly country, but um, it talks about all these different kings. And it talks about King Ahab and actually details how many horses he had and how many chariots he had. And he had the most out of all these during one particular war. He was really wealthy. Uh, I just want to show you these photos so that we set the scene that these are real people. And they actually lived and had a house and had ivory combs and stuff that we're talking about. All right. So in a time of peace, uh, oh, let me show you one more picture that I made up. Not, not a really exciting one. Uh, at this stage of um, Jerusalem and Israel and Judah's journey, the country is split into two. So the north part is called Israel and the south part is called Judah. So King Ahab and Jezebel are from the north and then Jehoshaphat what a name is from the south. So one day when everything is peaceful, Jehoshaphat comes to visit the king of Israel, Ahab. Sounds like a play school story beginning. So if you like, you can read along with me in the first book of Kings chapter 22. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, had a meeting with the king of Israel. And so they're all sitting around like at court. Israel remarked to all his aides, do you realize that Ramoth Gilead, don't worry about that, that's just a neighboring country, belongs to us and we're just sitting around on our hands and not taking it back. And then he turned to the king Jehoshaphat and he says, will you join me in fighting and taking it back? And Jehoshaphat's like, you, you bet, all I have is yours, my troops are your troops, my horses are your horses. But before you do anything, inquire of God, ask God for guidance. And this is the first key that I want to talk to and why I believe that God is stirring something about reading his word today because we believe that God's primary way of speaking to us 
is through the Bible, is through his word. That's his primary way. Yes, sometimes we have feelings and we sense the presence of God and and we sing songs and we go, God, I really feel like you're saying to me. Absolutely, that occurs. And in the presence of community, absolutely, God moves. But the primary way that we believe that God speaks to his people, to us, is through his word, through the Bible. And not only that, but we believe that the Bible is sufficient It's enough, enough wisdom for a power and everything for every part of our lives, that there's no other resource that we even need. And I know, like Kirsten was saying this morning, you know, um, that doctors and psychoanalysts and Google will will put lots of labels on all these different things that we go through in our lives and and illnesses and struggles that we have. They put complicated labels and they make things seem like they're, they're brand new and no one's ever felt this stuff before. But the Bible tells us nothing is new under the sun. And if you look through the book of Psalms, you can see every symptom that anyone's ever had in their heart or their mind. And the Bible, read correctly with the Spirit of God and an open heart toward Jesus, is the source of all revelation that we need for our whole lives. That's what we believe. In Genesis 42, 1, there's a terrible famine all over the place. And Jacob says, why are we sitting around looking at each other? Go to Egypt, he tells his son, and buy the grain. That's where the grain is. So we will live and not die. And we just need to keep reminding ourselves, just like Kirsten was saying this morning, why am I going to Google? Why am I going to Facebook? Why am I going and asking all of my friends? Why am I looking at substances and, and self-help books and, and you know little pretty stones? Why don't I go to the one who has all the answers? And that is Jesus. And he speaks to us in his word. So this week, I've been, well, over the past few weeks, I've been um, supporting someone who's really close to me, and they've been going through a really difficult time. Um, And, uh, you know, any professional person would say, this is a really hard thing you're going through, and it's complicated, and stuff's going on here. And I've just been praying and praying and praying and praying, God, give me a word that I can share in this, because all of my words are just useless, they're just noises, And I felt so helpless. And this week I was talking to her and we just got out the Bible and a verse just popped into my mind and we read it. And I've never even looked at the verse in that context before. It was utterly, utterly perfect and relevant. And everything in the room changed. We'd been talking for an hour and we were both near tears and frustrated. And as soon as we just opened the Bible and we read that word... Both of us changed, our peace came, confusion disappeared, peace came. Isn't it just like, maybe wave your hands if you've ever experienced that. You read the Bible and it's just like the, the lights come on, the sun rises, everything just, oh, it all just becomes clear, doesn't it? Last night I had a really difficult uh, conversation. My friend rang me up, she's going through a really terrible time, she's bawling her eyes out, you know, into the wee hours of the night. And I was just going in circles saying, yes, 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 I understand. Couldn't get a word in here twice. And then when we hung up, I, just, I was just crying out to God, give me a word, God, that I can give her. And I just opened the scriptures and I, and I looked in the Psalms and I found Psalm 62 and it said, when I'm overwhelmed, I lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. 
And I sent that to her, and, and both of us get peace. The Word of God is alive and active for every situation. This is how God speaks to his people. And if, you haven't, if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't experienced that for a long time, can I just encourage you to let yourself get thirsty again? Who was thirsty this week, like on Thursday? My gosh, I could have drank the whole town out of water. Was it Thursday or Wednesday, that hot day? So thirsty. And what did you do if you got thirsty? You went and got a drink. Hopefully, I'm Carmel didn't, but she knew in the end she needed one. When, when we get thirsty for the word of God... When we get thirsty because there's confusion in our lives, when we're going round and round in circles and Google's got nothing to say to us, then get thirsty for the Word of God because this is the one that will quench our thirst and He puts His Spirit in us so that we never have to be thirsty again. We just need to find Him here in His Word. Okay, that's the first verse, right. Next part, back to 1 Kings 22. <clears throat> so the king of Israel, he said, do you want to go and fight? And the other guy's like, yeah, let's go fight. But first, ask God. So the king of Israel gets all these prophets together, 400 of them. And he puts this question to them. Should I go and attack Ramoth Gilead or should I hold back? Yes, go for it, they say. God will give the king victory. But Jehoshaphat drags his heels. I'm reading from the Message Bible. Jehoshaphat drags his heels. Is there still another prophet around here that we can consult, he says. So he's heard 400 of them all going, yes, God says yes. And Jehoshaphat's like, is there one more? Is there just one more prophet around here? And the king of, Jehosh the king of Israel is in front of everyone. As a matter of fact, there is one. But I hate that guy. <laughs> he never preaches anything good to me. Only doom, doom, doom. Micaiah, son of Imlah. Jehoshaphat says the king should not talk about a prophet like that. So the king orders, get Micaiah, son of Imlah. Meanwhile, the king of Israel and the king of Jehoshaphat, seated on their thrones, dressed in their royal robes. Can you picture it? Resplendent, it says, in front of the city gates. So they're out in the open, the city gates. And all the prophets start staging a prophecy performance, a prophecy pantomime for their benefit. How weird. Zedekiah even makes a set of iron horns. So he makes this kind of big horn thing and he brandishes them around and he's saying, just God's word, with these horns you'll gore the neighboring country until there's nothing left of them. It's, it's very exciting. If they had fireworks, it'd be going smoke machines. They would definitely be into the smoke machines. All the prophets are in agreement and they say, yes, go. The God will give the king victory. God's gift to the king. So then they bring Micaiah in. And just as he's coming in, they're going, the other prophets are going, we all said yes, Micaiah. You better say yes. They put in the heavy on him. This is the dude's job. And the king likes to throw people in jail if you don't agree with him. And there's 400 of them all saying yes and doing this big dance and making props and stuff. And they're going, you better say yes, because we all said yes. But Micaiah, you know where the story's going, comes forward and he goes, I will say what God tells me to say. So at first he's a little bit sarky. He's a little bit sarcastic. 
the king's going, what does God say? Should we go up or not? And he's like, well, you know, God's gift to the king. You should go because that's what all the other prophets are saying. He's like, do you really want to hear what, I wanna say, what I'm going to say? And Ahab gets annoyed and he's like, I told you to. He keeps whispering to the guy beside him. I told you, I hate that guy. And then Micaiah gives the prophecy from God, which is all doom and gloom for Ahab, if he goes. He, he talks about this kind of throne room of God and, and how God is not speaking through those prophets. There are false prophets there and they're not giving the word of God. And, and if he goes, he's going to die. So all Ahab had to do was not go and he would have lived. Of course he went. That was the end of Ahab and, and Jezebel that we read about. And he died. He went in disguise. So maybe he believed Micaiah a little bit, but the disguise didn't save him. A random arrow, it says. A random arrow from an archer who wasn't even aiming got all the way into the middle of a crowd where Ahab's in disguise and it just got through a tiny little slit in his armour. So he had, he had to... Well, he had that coming. Okay, so... <clears throat> So I want to look at this. There's 400, that's, you know, three or four, three times bigger than this room of people. And they're all saying yes. And they're saying it intensely. And they're saying it like it's a really legitimate spiritual thing. They're saying it's about God here and their prophets and stuff. And why does Jehoshaphat say, is there another prophet of God? The reason is because he uses discernment. So Pastor Rob last week on the Friday and the Sunday talked about discernment. Discernment is just being able to look through all the facade, all the showy bits, and see what's really going on, to see the truth of it. And Jehoshaphat's able to look through all the song and dance that the prophets are doing and to see that's not from God. Who's going to speak from God? So we need to be able to look through people's facade and situations facade and all the showy stuff and all the extravaganza and people's intensity. We need to look through all of that and go, where is God in this? Where is the gospel in this situation? Where is Jesus in this? What is God saying to me in all this? We don't need to have extravaganzas. We don't need to have big feelings. We don't need smoke machines and fireworks going off and stuff. Don't get me wrong, I love the smoke machine. But we could surely worship God in a cave, a damp cave with no electricity, just the same. We'd probably hear the drums a little bit too much, but we just have to sing louder. We don't need all that stuff. We don't need dreams and visions. What we need is to be able to just read the Word of God daily and allow it to change us little bit by little bit by little bit. And God never makes it out that this is a um, just instruction book for life and that we can, you know, people do Bible bingo, they open it up and go, right, I'll do that thing, go to the East Gate or whatever it is. Um, and it never gives us quick answers, unfortunately. It actually speaks a warning against trite answers and says God never gives quick and shallow trite answers. It's more like the Word of God is a mold for us and we're meant to pour ourselves into it, immerse ourselves in the Word of God and allow it to shape us. Not grab the words and twist them to how we want it, but allow it to shape us and contour us and mold us. And it, it's like the life of a Christian is not showy. We, what, are, what are our big celebrations? 
baby born poor in a manger and Jesus on the cross. The life of a Christian is not all lights and entertainment. It's, it's humility and quietness a lot of the time and being hidden a lot of the time, isn't it? But, but that's the real power of God. God's not out to entertain. He's out to genuinely change lives and bring healing. He just does it quietly. Look at all the miracles that Jesus did in the Bible. He never made a big song and dance. Even when he brought Lazarus back to life, all he said was Lazarus come out. It was like less than a minute kind of prayer. It's not even as long as I pray for grace over my dinner. We don't, we don't need all the showy stuff. God's power is what we need and God's word is what we need. And this is where we find it. But the question is, how do we make sure that we are doing the right thing? Because the first time I read this, I read it wrong. I read it in isolation, just that little bit, that this man heard 400 prophets of God, and then he said, oh, is there one more? And I read it like he's listening to legitimate voices of saying one thing about God, and he's still looking for that one guy who's going to uh, agree with him. Do you know what I mean? See how I read that? And that's like a warning. I read it, I was like, oh, that's a good warning. Uh, we don't want to be like that one person. You know, the, there's the revealed revelation of God. There's generations of generations of mature Christians who agree and, and, and experience life through God's word. And then we're that one guy who comes up and goes, oh, well, obviously I know better. And all I need is one person to vindicate me, one person to get on my blog or watch me on YouTube, and then I'll know I'm right. But the question is, how do we make sure that our discernment is right, right? How do we make sure that we are being Jehoshaphat and we're looking through the cheap stuff and we're saying, I need the word of God, and we're not being the other guy and passing up the precious call of God and, 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 and settling for something cheaper just because it agrees with us? Super important question. The answer, I found it in, in the word, and that is to judge by the fruit so we're talking about the being fruitful. We're believing this year that God's going to show us how to be fruitful in our lives and in the church. And that's how he shows us to discern things, how to be discerning, is to judge things by their fruit. So in Matthew 7, somewhere between 15 and 20, it says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but they're really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. So just, yes, as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And this is not really about judging people because this whole chapter just before this is all about not judging people and the whole don't put the speck in your brother's eye and when there's a big log in your eye. So it's not about judging people. It's about judging the character and the actions of a person before I allow them to speak into my life, before I allow them to be the one that influences me and surrounds me. So that is what Jehoshaphat does. He actually is judging the fruit because he knows where these prophets are from. It turns out that they're Jezebel's prophets, Jezebel's 400 prophets and a few yes-men chucked in from Israel. Uh, you can read about them in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19. So these 400 prophets are not even speaking from God. They're, they're Jezebel's ones. They're always going to be leading people to Baal and, and not to the real God. And Jehoshaphat knew Micaiah. 
Micaiah, it turns out, is Jehoshaphat's man. He's his dude. In 2 Chronicles 17.7, it tells us that um, uh, Jehoshaphat sent all these uh, prophets and teachers around the country of Judah, and, and one of them is Micaiah, to teach the people about how to live well and things. So he knew the fruit of the 400, and he knew the fruit of Micaiah. So who should he listen to? Does it matter if the 400 have props and a big dance and a prophecy pantomime and, and, and it's all going on and they all agree? Does that matter? Or does the weight of just the one person quietly speaking when he's speaking the truth, that, that, that weight outweighs all else, doesn't it? And that's how it should be in our life. We need to learn to discern the, the fruit that we see in people's lives, weigh it against the fruit that God wants to see in our lives, against what we see in the Word of God. Looking past all the charisma and the, and the intensity and all the show and dance and things in people's lives and to be able to see really what is the weight of truth here. And not only in people's lives or organisations but in our own life, able to look past the temporary circumstances those things that come against us that kind of blind us and stress us out, to look past all that noise and to put weight on the one voice of God that is actually speaking truth to us. So discernment, not really rocket science. If you are married, who are you going to get advice from? Are you going to get advice from a guy who's been, uh, you know, failed marriages five times or a guy who's not even married? Or really, is it better to get advice from a person who has just had their 30th wedding anniversary and they're still speaking kindly to their wife. It's just, like, it's quite simple, really, discernment, when we lay it all out. If you are going to school this year, use discernment. Maybe you're not very good at maths. Don't sit at the table with all the other people who aren't good at maths. Like, consider the fruit of, of what's going on there and sit with the brainy people. Sit with the people who are good at maths. Amen. That's what I did. And in physics, <laughs> we, uh, we don't make investments. And I'm not saying that we need to swap out all our friends for successful friends or that we only have friends who are successful um, for our gain or anything like that. I'm just saying, who, whose fruit do you want to have, you know, fall into your life? And who are we allowing to influence and speak into our life? If you want to buy a house, don't hang out with only people who rent. You know, hang out with people who successfully have bought a few houses. Um, if you, you know, if you are going to buy a car, who just buys a car because the salesman is really slick? Probably loads of people. That's why they, they continue to be slick. But obviously we do, we discern that. We do our homework on the car and if we're really discerning on the salesman and on the dealership, on their reputation as well, don't we? Don't make investments into companies that we can't do any background research on. We just need to judge the fruit of what's going on. And if you're trying to make an investment and you, and you can't, there are barriers. I can't figure out this guy's background or what's really going on here. That's a red flag to stop. That's the fruit of it. It's all hidden and it's a cover up there. So don't invest with that dodgy guy. So discernment is really just being able to look through the facade, look through all the show and, and see what is true. And when it comes to 
spirituality, it's absolutely the same. Bible 1 John 4, 1, it says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they hear have comes from God because there are many false prophets in the world. I think in a lot of ways Christians, unfortunately, are easy picks, aren't they, at being scammed. Haven't you seen that? Shouldn't it totally be the opposite? We should have more discernment than, than people who don't have the Spirit of God. Why are Christians such easy targets? Exactly. We shouldn't be. Is it just because we're, like, we're trying to give people the benefit of the doubt and we're trying to be loving and trusting and all that kind of stuff, which is good. We should. And give people chances and all that kind of stuff. But we also have to do this to test every spirit, to be discerning, to test things by their fruit and not believe everyone who just claims to speak from God. If someone gives you a word in church, you can write it down and you can just consider it. You don't have to get upset by it and and go out and make changes happen or anything like that. Maybe that person's, you know, a visitor and they're not even from church. Maybe they're a crazy person. Maybe they're a stirrer. You don't have to just listen to everyone who says they speak to you from God. We need to listen to God, ourselves, through the Word. This morning I was just thinking about how precious the call of God is. And I thought, you know, no one would throw out a Picasso to make space on their wall for a Kmart canvas, would they? And yet that's exactly what people do when they're not discerning. And in our spiritual life, when we put aside the infinitely precious call of God to pick up something that's essentially, you know, temporary and and useless, a straw house. And all we need to do is discern what are we doing in our lives? What am I putting aside and what am I picking up? What am I allowing into my life and what am I having to move to make room for it? And it should never be the word of God, and it should never be the call of God and the words that God speaks to us. So who wants more discernment? Later on, on the notices, you'll hear my voice again doing an infomercial. Shout out to Pastor Rob. He's not here, but he does like those. It's totally joking, by the way, all that. Don't take that seriously. But I feel like I'm doing an infomercial for discernment. I feel like, do you want to have more discernment? Do you want to stop making bad decisions and make good decisions? Do you want to stop having regrets? And I don't really mean it in a smarmy way like that's really what discernment's going to do it's going to help us stop making mistakes and start making good choices that lead to good fruit in our lives but the way to increase discernment the way to get more is to get God's word into us Uh, Hebrews 4 it says the word of God is alive and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it pierces, the word of God is able to pierce through the right and the wrong, the truth and the show, the the day and the night. If we get the word of God into us, he'll show us how to divide those things. In uh, Jeremiah 29, 23, 29, God says, my word is like a fire, like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces. So even the hard and, and covered up things in our lives, even in ourselves, 
God's word is like a hammer that can smash that all open. That situation that you encounter and you're like, I can't see what's really going on here. God's word is the hammer that can crack that open and bring it all out into the light. Here, God's word is it. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says, God's saying, my word doesn't go out and come back to me empty. Like the rain comes down to the ground and it waters the earth and it causes things to grow. My word doesn't leave my mouth and come back empty. It will accomplish the things that I desire and achieve the purpose I sent it. That's not us, that's God speaking. His word will accomplish the things that he desires. We just need his word. My little cheerleader over here. Two of them. Is it just them? (laughs) It's like we have to make ourselves thirsty for the word, isn't it? It's like you can leave this on a shelf and and your life can continue and you can let it get dusty and you can lose track of it. But, and it seems like nothing changes, but when when you read the word daily, everything changes for the better, everything becomes clearer and you have those moments where you're just reading and God's word is getting into your spirit and then you have those moments where everything makes sense and you have a revelation of who God is but it's never, never, never just doing nothing. It's always the powerful word of God. So back to Micaiah and Jehoshaphat and Ahab and Jezebel. So when we read the Old Testament... Uh, it's good to ask ourselves, where's Jesus in this? Uh, How's this pointing to Jesus? So this is 850 years before Jesus is born, but the Holy Spirit is speaking the whole way through the Scripture, pointing us to Jesus. And so whenever you read any Old Testament story or account, you can always try and, where is Jesus in this? And as I asked myself that, this is what I saw, that the world is like the 400 voices that it's just this constant barrage of voices trying to tickle my ears. You are the centre of the universe, Kylie. You do deserve more. You deserve it all. Take this, eat this, drink this. You have it all. Don't get your way. It's another infomercial. I'm on an infomercial roll today. Don't get your way. Have a tantrum. Blame someone else. Isn't there this just constant barrage? And it all agrees with itself. Uh, There's 400, like 400 voices coming up to us until we become so sick of it and so dissatisfied with it that we become Jehoshaphat and we say, this can't be all there is. There has to be just one more. Isn't there just one more voice? And that voice is Jesus. That's where he is in that story. Jesus is the one. So all things, his word tells us, all things in creation, seen and unseen, were created through him and for him. St. Augustine in the 300s or something, he said, God, our hearts were made for you and they're restless until they find rest in you. So if if your heart is restless, if your heart is just done with all the noise that the world gives us then we invite you the church across all generations across all time invites you consider will you just listen to the voice of that one 
we just, just like Jehoshaphat said, oh, I just need to hear that other one. Will you just be that person today and say, I want to hear the voice of Jesus in my life. And we don't have to make that stuff up. We don't then go home and just struggle through praying. And We read his word every day. We soak in it. We bathe in it. We eat it. We metaphorically eat it. Jesus said you can't live just by bread alone, but by every word from the voice of God. So he promises that we can put our hope in his word and his word is a light for our feet. So if you've reached that place, have been done with just all the stuff that the world says, we're just going to pray in a moment and and I invite you, all you have to do in your heart is just to, just like Jehoshaphat did, just reach out to Jesus and say, I want to hear what you have to say. And don't be like Ahab, I hate that guy. I don't want to hear what he says, it's all doom and gloom. Open your heart and, and say, Jesus, if you're really there, pierce through all the other noise and speak to me today. And if you don't have a Bible, I've got a pile of them at the front here. We'd like to give you a Bible. If you don't have the word for today, then I want to give you a word for today. I'll teach you how to get a Bible on your phone. You can get like 20, 50 Bibles on your phone, every version, all for free. And you can just start to read the Bible each day and start to encounter God. And if you are a Christian today, well, I feel like your heart's desire will already be to race home and and, and have an experience, an encounter with God and, and just read the word, won't it? That when you hear that story of King Ahab, you, you just want to pray and say like, reassure yourself, God, I want to hear your voice above all the others. I don't want to be tainted or tempted or confused by that din anymore. I just want to only see and hear your voice, the voice of the one. Because we already know, if you're a Christian, we already know that his word is alive and active and and it changes things and it breaks things open and it and it washes us clean and no matter all the the world makes things so complicated and puts so many labels on stuff and then God's word so ancient and so new just pierces through all that and gives us the truth. So let's just pray, let's just thank God for his word and I just heard this week that in North Korea, if you're found with a Bible, that you'll be executed and every single person in your extended family, like your grandma and your aunties and uncles and cousins, every single person in your extended family will be put into a prison labour camp for the rest of their lives just for having a Bible. Why? Because that government knows the Word of God is alive and active. They want to be the boss and they know they can't let anyone have the Word of God because that will truly make people free. So we're so blessed. We're so lucky. It's outrageous how we can have... I've got like 20 Bibles in my house and then another 40 on my phone. We're so blessed by it. We just need to open it every day and soak ourselves in it and hear, experience God in His Word. So let's just pray. And if you're a Christian... Just thank Jesus now for his word. Thank the Holy Spirit now in your heart. And God, we're so grateful that we have your word, that we're not 
you know, lost in the dark without it, but that you actually speak to us today. We just love you and we're so thirsty for your word, Jesus. We're so discontent with all the stuff the world offers. It's, it's just a show. It's just facade. And we want to stand on your word like never before this word, this year. I pray that every person just has such a thirst and a hunger and a discontentment for everything else, that this is the only thing that would satisfy us, that we'd go here first to your word, God, alive and active. And if you are not a, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, if you're still wondering if God is even real, then I just encourage you to say that prayer in your heart right now. Jesus, show yourself to me. Let me hear what you have to say. And as you read the Bible this week, as you read the Scriptures and read the Word of God, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to us all, that you'd just make it so clear to us that no circumstances beyond you, that no problem is bigger than you, bigger than your Word. No illness, no misunderstanding, no poverty, no circumstance can ever have greater weight than the word of hope and truth that we have in your scriptures. We thank you, Jesus. I thank you, one heart. The sausages will be coming on in any moment. The smell. I hope that you become as hungry for the Word of God this week, like what I did there. That you are, when you start smelling those cooking onions, maybe next time you walk past Bunnings or Woolworths and you smell those cooking onions, you'll remember, I'm hungry for the Word of God more than that. I'll invite Kirsten. You'll get to see my infomercial. Thank you very much.